0: Hello there, you're listening to the Acts 29 Europe podcast. Conversations on church planting in Europe. My name is Steve Robinson. I'm a pastor of a church in Liverpool. Along with my co-host Dan Steele from Oxford, we want to hear from different guests about what God is doing in different contexts in the vast expanse of Europe. To be better informed and encouraged to know how to be praying and to under God plant more and healthier churches that thrive And flourish as they take the message of Jesus into a world that needs to hear him. Good to see you, Dan. Hey mate, good to see you. How are you? I'm doing okay, thank you. 2021, bro. Who thought we would have made it? It's been a brutal year. How's it been for you? It has been
1: what brutal is a probably the right word lots Mm. of challenges lots of things we weren't expecting lots of probably lots of sin revealed in me that i didn't know was there but actually Mm. being locked down with family and stuff is revealed lack of patience that kind of stuff but we've i can look back and see god's been faithful as well so he's been doing good things in and through it all
0: as he often does Yeah, and despite, like, I think a lot of us were moving towards Christmas, weren't we thinking, okay, it's a bit of a reprieve, we can have some time with family, and for us in the UK, obviously, that was uh, very different for us at the last minute, but what was Christmas like for you? The the honest answer, Christmas was up and down, I'd
1: say. Um, Yeah, as as you Mm. say, we, we were looking for a bit of a break, and we were looking to go and catch up with family and to see people we'd not seen for a year, that didn't happen. Um, Having said that again though, it was great to be together. We did have some special times. Um, mate, we did this crazy thing before Christmas for a, a family present. We bought a new TV, but we didn't realise how big it was when we bought it online. So we've got a sixty-five inch TV in our lounge, um, which which means people judge us. But it also means we get to watch like
0: films, and it looks incredible. So we've we've been enjoying that. I'll be honest. Amazing. Why we are confessing? Why we are confessing regarding what our gifts are? You got a sixty-five inch TV. I actually got a Bose soundbar Seriously. for my TV. So so, so what we could do is combine your big, big TV with my big soundbar, and we just have the awesome atmosphere and platform for us to watch Netflix in the rest of lockdown. That would be super. Be- we, we actually don't sound like pastors at this moment in time, do we? That's the... This is the start of a dangerous trajectory. Anyway, go on. Bring us back absolutely well listen this is the acts 29 europe podcast and i guess one of the questions that people will be asking is why are we doing a podcast for europe when there is a global podcast
1: uh great question yeah we, i know both you and i are big fans of the um acts 29 global podcast with um jeff meadows tony Morita. before him um i have spent many an hour running around Oxford with a podcast in my ears, enjoying and learning and praying indeed for the work of Act 3.9 around the world. Um, I think our hope is to have a number of of good conversations where we can zoom in on, drill down into what God is specifically doing in this vast region of Europe. Um, so some of the stories, glimpse some of the different encouragements, some of the challenges and um, fueling our prayers. And, and then we can hopefully... Um, learn and, and know how to plant healthier churches within our context within Europe um, which is why the title of the podcast is conversations in church planting in Europe and obviously it makes sense to absolute sense for us to start these conversations with a conversation with Philip Moore um he is our act 29 Europe director Philip very warm welcome to you thank you um really really good to have you with us for this um first conversation um you're you are currently um network director, all that kind of stuff. But can you tell us a bit about um, your family and your background and, and you as a person um, and indeed how you came to be a um, a church planter in in France or, or is it Euro Disney? I, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So um, I'm thrilled to be on the
2: podcast and thrilled to hear you two uh, chat uh, in the introduction. It was very amusing. Um, I'm sure we'll cut that bit out. I uh, hope we will anyway. And if we don't, then you'll know that I wanted that bit cut out. Um,
0: when
2: we get to this bit. Uh, but, uh, so I'm, I'm in France, uh, near Euro Disney, as Dan said, uh, just to the east of Paris. We've been here since 2006. So Rachel and I moved to France uh, in 2006. Rachel had been a barrister before she had children and then I'd been a teacher before we moved to France. So we moved away from Northern Ireland uh, and those jobs and came to just the outside Paris to pastor a church there. Uh, It was my first pastorate, and it was really a a privilege to be in that church. I'll come back to why it was a privilege to be in that church in a minute. Um, But I'd been a French teacher. I had studied French at Oxford. My dad was a French teacher, and we spent nearly all of our summer holidays in France. Um, And when we were in France on our summer holidays, uh, one of the things that uh, impressed me uh, was how persevering the church was despite how small it was and how difficult it was to be an evangelical church in France. So we would go to different places in France and my mom and dad had this tattered book which was the directory of all the evangelical churches in France and so every Sunday we would look up this book and see which was the nearest evangelical church to us uh, and often we had to drive half an hour or more to get to that church and so my young self was thinking oh There aren't that many churches uh, in France. I used to walk out of my front door and pass four evangelical churches just to go to the local shop. Um, France was the biggest contrast you could imagine to that. Sometimes we'd arrive at the church services and there'd be nobody there and a note in the door saying during the summer, no church services. Or you get there and there'd be five people there and our family of six people would double the number of people there. Or we'd get there and there'd be somebody who was doing a manful job trying to preach a sermon. But it was clear that, that the training and the, the experience that we take for granted, really, in our Anglo-Saxon uh, contexts, wasn't really the case in 1980s in France. Uh, and so I grew up with this idea that France was both a beautiful place, A place where I could go on holiday, where I could go and enjoy what France has to offer. And everybody knows about that. I think it's the most popular destination for holidays in the world. Uh, And at the same time, uh, a place where there was a great need for more churches, for more evangelical um, witness, for more people to bear witness to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so those two things then came together when in 2006 Rachel and I came to France to pastor the church in Lagny. And it turned out that the church in Lany that we came to pastor um, had been a church that we'd been praying for back in uh, Ireland. Uh, there was this whole project called Marna Valley de Mille. And Marna Vallée de Mille was all this kind of the river valley all the way towards uh, Euro Disney. Uh, very, very few churches. And these British, American, and Irish missionaries had come together to think, how could we plant 25 churches along this river valley um, before the year 2000? And Lany was one of those churches. And so it was planted in the 1980s. And unbeknownst to myself, we'd been praying for it back home in Ireland uh, and churches like it. And then I came to pastor that church. That was a kind of a really beautiful thing. Uh, And the great thing about that church and why it was such a privilege for me to arrive in that church was that church had never forgotten that it was a church plant. And I think one of the big dangers about churches is that they forget that somebody at some point left a comfortable situation to go into an uncomfortable situation and plant a new church. Um, so, so the blood and the sweat and the tears that go into planting a church were fresh in the memory of this church. And therefore, when I came, they were already in the middle of planting another church. And so I oversaw that plant uh, in the next year and a half. And then from then, people just started getting a vision for church planting even beyond that. Um, and so we started training church planters and planting other churches. Um, and so the, the little church that I came to pastor has planted uh, a church in Farmoutier, um, helped plant a church in the middle of Paris called Connexion, planted the Valderrop church where I'm currently pastoring, a uh, church in Shell. Um, and then we tried a, a church plant in Ville which didn't succeed. Um, but we're hoping to get back to that at some point. Uh, and so that that was a huge privilege for me to come into that context and be able to to, to lead that church in, in those ways. So I feel hugely privileged about that. And the family then, uh, we arrived with three daughters, Julia, Anna and Abigail. And during our time here in France, Theo, our son was born, and then Zoe, uh, our fourth daughter. So we've got five kids from 19 down to eight. And they're a joy. Uh, They always complain that I don't uh, praise them enough in Acts 29. I just say I've got children and everybody else is saying we're blessed to have all these children. So can I just say for the record, I'm blessed to have Rachel, my wife and all my five children.
0: Amen to that. Amen to that. Big up the kids and the family. I love yeah, it, Philip. Absolutely, I love it. absolutely. <laughs> I love it. I love it, Philip. Philip, you are currently the network director for X29 Europe and the associate director for X29 Global. Okay, just in a nutshell, what does that mean, and what does that what does work look like for you day to day as you're engaging with church planters and churches all around Europe?
2: Yeah, so um, it, it involves essentially a lot of personal relationships um, where we are trying to move forward the mission at whatever point that is. So if you take the Axon 9 Europe director role, um, Europe is divided into eight regions uh, from Axon 9's point of view. And so each of those regions... Um, Ideally, we'll have a director or a regional lead. Uh, And so I'll collaborate together with that regional lead. So, for example, in GB, it's Hugo. So, Hugo and I will get together, oh, at least once a week, but probably often more than that, um, to work out what we're doing next in GB and how we can forward the uh, mission of church planting in GB. Um, Similarly, in France or in Italy or in Turkey or uh, in Eastern Europe or or in Germany or whatever, I'll be connecting with those guys. Um, Sometimes I'll be part of the leadership team and, and actually serving under. The regional lead for that region to help them um, as they move out the missions that's what i do with gb for example hugo's got this steering group i'm part of that steering group but i work to hugo's orders in the context of that steering group to to help think through church planting in in gb uh, and so that's kind of what we do and so that's zoom calls or it's conferences or it's uh, uh, planning meetings or it's um uh, Kind of all those kinds of things that you can imagine doing so that church planting is more and more established in every one of those regions. Um, It might be developing the assessment materials. It might be developing coaching. It might be putting up a conference. It might be finding partner churches to support those churches. Um, All those kinds of things go into that. And then I do a similar thing with the other uh, network directors across the world. Not the U.S. ones, but the Australia, Southern Africa, emerging regions, Canada, latin america uh, having a similar role with those guys there and so it's super um exciting and a, a real privilege to be engaging with people um just thinking how can we plant churches so that people meet jesus all across europe and all across the world um i can't imagine anything uh, better to do with with mm-hmm. my life
1: amazing thank you philip you we, we've picked up there already that you're a positive optimistic kind of guy you're uh excited about what you do. I mean, Europe is enormous um, geographically in terms of um, just area, but also the number of people. So I guess that's one of the challenges. Um, Are there other challenges that you you face day by day? Um, What are some of the, the thorns and the thistles when it comes to your role?
2: Yeah. And so what you just mentioned is is true. So 51 countries in Europe, um, I think the population, it depends how you calculate it, but something like 750 million people. um, Geographically, very, very vast, as you know, and then um, super complex in terms of its linguistic background and terms of its historical background. Uh, So just taking in terms of of the language, if we're trying to do something across Europe and trying to develop, for example, what you might call an Axonine Europe ethos or an and Europe identity. How do you do that across all those languages? Um, how do you make sure that what you say in English, um, which is the majority language uh, in terms of the number of and churches we have, how do we work out how that sounds and, and goes across in French or Italian or Turkish or whatever. Um, sometimes Kerim, uh, who's my good friend, and I guess you'll have Kerim on this show at some point, um, he complains to me that what, what we're trying to say in English makes no sense at all uh, in Turkish and never will make any sense in Turkish. Or maybe it's sometimes because it doesn't make sense in English. We just think it does. Um, so linguistically, it's, really, it's a real big challenge. Um, and And we're always trying to find ways of making sure that we can be equitable in how we roll out resources, roll out training uh, in terms of those languages. We're still far away off that, but that's a real preoccupation of mine. Um, I'm part of the Crosslands uh, board as well, and Crosslands wants to bring its training to Europe in general, not just to English-speaking countries. How do we get people access to excellent European resources that come from Europe in all of their own languages? And how do we get, for example, people who are reading in English Access to some really excellent resources that have been produced in French or Italian or Turkish. That's another challenge, isn't it? Um, Mm -hmm. But those are wonderful challenges that we have to try to think how can we be conscious of the complexity, uh, the linguistic complexity of Europe as we plant churches. And so that's one thing. And then the other thing is historical, as I mentioned. Um, Depending on where you start from in Europe, uh, you're going to encounter many different historical. backgrounds that will make the gospel more or less easy to present in any given context. Um, so if you take Europe as a continent, you will have Catholic countries. So Poland is still a Catholic country. And so if you're preaching the gospel in Poland, then you've got to bear in mind how it sounds as people come from a Catholic background listening to the gospel. Uh, and sometimes their Catholic background will mean that they're attached to the church but they're not attached to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they're attached to the institution. So how do you talk about the gospel in a way that makes sense to those people so that they can see the difference and so that they can experience the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in their lives uh, uh, individually uh, and come to faith in him? But then you also have countries that are post-Catholic. And so the Catholic church has in a way disappointed people and um, in some ways inoculated them against the gospel, but in some ways prepared them for the gospel. And so in France, which is slightly in that case, um, sometimes the fact that people have been through a Catholic experience and have rejected that experience for some good and some bad reasons means that when we talk to them about the gospel, a light goes on and they think, ah, if only somebody had told me that earlier, that's what I wanted. I wanted that kind of God, but not that kind of church or not that kind of institutional experience or not that kind of, and you fill in the gaps. And so you're always navigating that kind of thing in terms of Catholic, post-Catholic, but the same could be said about Protestant and post-Protestant. So Germany and Denmark and the Scandinavian countries are all in that post-Protestant um, kind of, of domain. Uh, Britain to a large extent is the same. Uh, and so how is it that you talk about the gospel in a way that makes sense in those contexts? And then we haven't even started talking about Greek Orthodox Russian or Orthodox, Orthodox uh, and the Muslim countries down towards the southeast. So we're just talking about something that's vast and complex. Um, and that's a challenge if we want to have an accent in Europe
0: that makes sense. Yes, sounds like a walk in the park for you, man. A walk in the yeah, park, yeah, for,
2: sure. for sure.
0: It's a joy, but it's a, it's a challenge. It is a challenge, <laughs> Philip. I've been involved with X29 for about ten years, and I actually remember uh, uh, meeting you for the first time probably about eight years ago, something like that. That's uh, right. One yeah, of yeah. our uh-huh. small meetings, uh, mm-hmm. and one of the biggest encouragements for me has 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 been seeing the acts 29 grow across europe and seeing churches planted and you mentioned some people when you were chatting then and it's just great to see what god is doing in and through them and we hope to have those guys on and chat with more about the specifics of that but for someone like you who's right in the mix of that and those conversations just share with us some of the encouragements that you've experienced by working across this vast continent
2: yeah um so just every new church plant is an encouragement and so that goes without saying and that whether that's in gb or in ireland or in turkey or in france or italy or wherever you look it's just super encouraging to see people respond to both the depth and the breadth of the gospel by planting a new church in a new place and that's never going to get tired for me um but there are some particular things that are really encouraging um one of the things that i love about acts 29 is this is in general it's just how generous people are within the network to each other in terms of planting churches. And so in terms of uh, Europe, we have greatly benefited from the generosity of churches in the States, for example, as they poured into our mission. And what I love to see is how that has not just been something that we've received in Europe, but something we've tried to reproduce. Uh, and so a particularly good example of this would be Italy uh, in Pato. And I think you're going to be talking to JD uh, quite soon. Um Empato, led by J.D. Gilmore, um, has taken under its wing Albania and, in fact, the Balkan countries in general. And so just across the Adriatic Sea, um, so there's Italy, the boot of Italy going down. And then just across the Adriatic Sea, there's Albania and Tirana. Um, and Dina, planting a church in Tirana, has been coached and invested in and helped in every way you could imagine by the guys in Impato. And so seeing different regions in different countries within Acts 29 Europe collaborate together, help each other plant churches in ways that are just impossible um, to think of otherwise, that, that really uh, enthuses me, excites me. And I think the sky's the limit in terms of that. And so people out there who are listening to this, uh, either as individual churches or as people who are part of a region within Acts 29, how could it be that your region or your church could be partnering with? other people in less favorable circumstances. Because even if the church in Italy is small and not very resource rich, and I think Jedi would tell you that, it's more resource rich and bigger than the church in Albania. Um, Mm. And the same is true for France. So France is doing a similar thing with West Africa, French-speaking West Africa. Um, We are small and insignificant in France, but the resources we do have help us help West Africa and French speaking West Africa. Uh, And so that's something that I think we want to see develop more and more.
0: And that is one of the biggest encouragements that I've experienced for being part of Acts 29, just some of the things you shared there in terms of what you're seeing, we've actually experienced, so experienced support and encouragement and resources and friendship and partnership from uh, a church in the States. And because of that, we we are now and are able to support a, a new church plant in Timisoara in Romania. So we see it in your context, but we also see it globally, which is amazing and, you know, and exciting and exciting. Just to keep that connection of being a global, diverse global family of church planting churches is so important.
2: One of the things, yeah, I was just going to say that 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 often you know the we can be as church planters quite uh, results oriented, and so we think, hey, this is the result. But in fact, the process that leads us to the result is is often a really beautiful thing that we don't take enough time to sit back and enjoy. And so the relationships that you develop on the church planting journey with different churches, different people. Um, That's a very thick relational uh, bond that exists in Acts 29. And it is a joy. It's a, it's it's a, it's a real richness. It's it's so good. Um, So, which is, uh, which is great.
0: Philip, one of the things that we're all experiencing at the moment and have experienced, and we alluded to it at the the beginning of this podcast, obviously is the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, From your experience, how, how has that affected church planting both both for positive and negative yeah so
2: i think for um in the bad ways first you know Mm. negatively it's it's stalled some church plants so we were due to assess a number of church planters a number of church plants were due to be launched or or getting underway and covid um, 19 put a break on that and stopped us doing what we wanted to do it delayed the launch delayed the progress um stopped things in their tracks in sometimes a brutal way um, so that's been difficult uh, and i think we're still trying to come to terms with how we um manage that in the best way we think we're always going to get out of it and then all of a sudden it uh, it cuts back to to haunt us and um, so we're hoping to meet together in january to do some uh, live assessments we couldn't so we put it online then somebody who was due to be assessed somebody in this family got covid and so we had to cancel the online assessment and stuff. So it's just, we're just living in that uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And what we try to do, which is usually very relational, um, is very hard to do when you can't actually travel or go to see people. Um, uh, another thing is that I think it's put a lot of pastors and planters under a lot of mental uh, pressure. Um, I don't know if you follow DiHanky on Twitter, um, but he has been very open and vulnerable about how uh, COVID-19 has affected him. Yeah. Uh Maybe I'll maybe get him on the podcast at some point, too, as well. But he's he's just expressing what many, many people are, are going through. Um, moments of depression, moments of feeling down, moments of feeling uh, a little bit hopeless, wondering what the point is, wondering if we're ever going to get back to what normal would be. Wondering why, even in the midst of this crisis, people aren't turning to the gospel in droves, because if there was ever a time where people should turn to the gospel, is it not now? And yet mm-hmm. people are just kind of you mentioned Netflix earlier, Steve, um, just watching Netflix with their that's huge right. TVs and their booze sign bars. Yeah. And uh, that's all they do all day, every day. And uh, they don't turn to the gospel whatsoever. I wonder why. Anyway, um, but so those are some of the negative things that are going on. And I, th- those are things that, that I think we have to um, reflect on. Um, you know, uh, Augustine wrote City of God in in a context of crisis. Um, yeah. I'm wondering what will come out of this crisis as we reflect theologically on what's happened and what's happening. But in terms of the good ways in which COVID nineteen has affected church planting or church plant or just churches in general. Um, one of the things that I'm really grateful for in our own context in Val is this um, new dynamic for prayer that's been established. And um, so, you know, when the crisis hits, you think we must pray. Um, we 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 gotta pray about this. Um, and then, as we started to pray in the Val church, we started praying every day at six o'clock, and people would log on and we'd pray. Um, We do a kind of a Bible reading for 15 minutes and a prayer for 15 minutes. Um, And it really took off and people started to pray. And then during the summer, we took a break. And then we started that in the morning because people were back at work. So six o'clock in the evening wasn't possible. So we did it 6.45 in the morning and people turned up to pray and to listen to God's word. And we're now beginning to pray more and more and more as a church together. And I'm just fascinated by that. You know, did it take a global pandemic to get Up Church to take prayer really seriously? Maybe it did. Um, in which case, thanks be to God. Uh, but but more than that, during the global pandemic, um, also in Acts 29, we started what we call the Global Prayer Meeting. And the Global Prayer Meeting is essentially uh, what it sounds like. It's a Zoom prayer meeting where people from all across the globe get together and pray. Uh, have you guys been on one of those um, uh, or not? I have. Yeah, still, yeah, I see. have.
0: Yeah, encouraging, really encouraging. Yeah,
2: and so, so that I think it's super encouraging to get online with people from churches all around the globe to hear little reports and then get into these little Zoom rooms where you've got six or seven people from all across the world and you pray. Now, that is such a super encouraging thing to do. In fact, the next one I'd like to just put a, a kind of little announcement in here the next global prayer meeting is the 26th of January, um, and so look out for that in your church. Uh, kind of announcements or or whatever there'll be newsletters uh, and make sure it it doesn't matter you don't have to be a pastor or an elder you can be anybody in the church connected to the church come along and pray for x29 uh, and get to know what's going on Uh, that'll be a super encouraging moment i think
1: philip thank you so much i mean extraordinary to to hear some of that we're yeah privileged to hear all that god is using you um in and through as well but each time we have these conversations we want to um have an opportunity as well just for some shorter questions as a chance for us to get to know you a little bit more um Mm -hmm. the person we're interviewing a little bit more um and i i think we've got we've got a kind of pool of questions that we're going to work from um and we'll maybe play it by ear each time as to what we pick. I'm keen to know what kind of a normal, not just not what a normal week looks like for you, but also how you keep going, how you keep um, marching, 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 rather than sprinting and dropping. Um, when mm-hmm. do you rest? Um, mm-hmm. How do you keep that pace? Because you're a kind of high-paced guy.
2: Mm. So uh, normal work looks like this for me. So the alarm clock goes off at six in the morning. And generally speaking, I kind of respond to that, relatively well um i get up and i'll read something um so i spent three months reading martin lord jones on the sermon on the mount mm. um so a chapter of that a day and uh, uh so um i don't know if this is heretical or not but the bible plans where you read through vast chunks of the bible every day um i've done them in the past but they don't really um allow me to meditate on the word in a way that is transforming um and so what i want to do is to read and then to love God more and to love my fellow human beings more as a result hey, that of having
1: sounds, that sounds heretical to me. We're, we're going uh, <laughs> to, okay, <That's> fine.
2: <laughs> okay. You can edit it away. Um, and so, so, uh, and so at the minute I'm reading a book, um, on the crucifixion. Uh, and so the, the, all the Bible's verses are, are about the crucifixion. I'm meditating on the crucifixion, um, meditating therefore on sin and on judgment, um, and trying to work out, you know, the ways in which I've, I've underestimated the cross. Um, mm. so that's, between six and, and seven um, and I make coffee and generally deliver coffee to my wife um, at some point uh, in that process. Um, then family gets up, uh, drive my son to school. Um, on the way to school, we listen to, uh, at the minute, we're listening to Charles Dickens. So we're listening to Great Expectations and uh, we're having a great time following the life and adventures of Pip. Um, drop him off at school, combine to the office um, here in church. Uh, and then my colleague, Peter Judkins, who's the pastor of the church here, I'm, I'm kind of handing over the church to him, uh, coffee with him, then just work. Um, so read, prepare, plan, contact people, do everything like that, um, Zoom. Um, we've got this thing on our Zoom account. We've got a, a, one of those pro accounts and it allows you to see how many, many meetings you have on Zoom. Um, and so sometimes I connect to that stat, and it's quite a frightening number of Zoom meetings. Then I'll knock off at around six and go back, eat with the family, uh, relax, play games, um and go to bed, um try to do some sport in the in the mix um as well so I, I don't think there's anything startling about my my week um I feel hugely privileged to have the um job that I have and to be able to do it in the context that I'm doing it in um so
0: that's great, bro, and it um it's just it's encouraging to to you know to hear that you can run like you run, you know trying to save the lord in that context but also in the midst of that you are grabbing coffee for your wife you're listening to charles dickens with your son you're playing games and it's so important for us to to hear that as as guys who are a little bit younger than you you know what i mean only a little bit younger than you eh, so it's, I'm, it's, I'm 48 i don't know what age you are I'm, 48. Uh, I'm nowhere near 48 i might look it but i'm nowhere <laughs> near it but uh, that is encouraging to hear and and Just to see how you are loving your family well in the midst of that. But a question that we do have, quick one, is what would the Philip Moore, what would Philip Moore from now want the Philip Moore from 15 years ago to know? So I
2: think there's two things. Um, One of them is idealism. When I came into pastor at the church in 2006, which is more or less 15 years ago, so that was my first pastorate, um, I was sure and I was. convinced that i was going to be able to navigate all of the relationships and all the things that i was going to do and i wouldn't be one of those people who would turn around after x number of years and there wouldn't be any broken relationships at all ever you know i'd be able to maintain all of my relationships 100 and that i wouldn't disappoint anybody i wouldn't let anybody down i would be able to go through the 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 calling that i felt god had in my life Um, and and, and be able never, ever, ever to have any broken relationships. That was kind of my idealistic intention. Um, and if there was going to be a, a, a marriage problem in the church, I was going to invest, invest, invest until that marriage problem was fixed. And I wasn't going to, you, you know, that kind of idealism where, where I was aiming for 100% in everything. Um, and mostly relationally, to be honest. Um, and that was the, the, the big thing for me. Um, I wish I'd known that that is just not possible in a fallen world. And I think I knew it. But I think that I thought that somehow that, that by dint of whatever it would be, um, whether it would be hard work or whether it would be charm or whether it would be personality or, or whatever it would be, that I would manage to get through so that zero um, relational fallout would happen. Um, that's just not possible. Um, and I wish I'd been um, more less idealistic uh, and more realistic about that. And I think it would have changed a certain number of things that I did and a certain number of expectations that I had of myself. And I'm sure it might have made some of my relationships more real and more authentic um, as I went through things. Um, Because sometimes when when you're aiming for idealism, then you actually neglect to pay attention to what's really happening um, because you don't want it to be true. You don't want there to be a, a problem that needs to be resolved and therefore idealism blinds you to what's actually going on. Um, and so I wish I could have told my 15-year-old ago self, hey, this, this is not what's going to happen and you need to be aware of that and pay attention to the signs that it's not um, so that, so that you, you deal with them in more mature and reflective and Christian ways. That's one thing. And then the second thing I think um, I, I would have said to myself is gratitude is an absolutely key Christian virtue. Being grateful. And I don't know if you've ever reflected on a theology of gratitude in the Bible, but uh, it's for me a fascinating thing to think about. What does Paul criticize the whole human race for in Romans chapter 1 verse 21? Why is the wrath of God being revealed? Uh, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Mm. In fact, what God is expecting from us as human beings is to recognize that he exists and then to be grateful and Paul mm. summarizes it like that. And then he says, moves on. So, so being grateful is actually what God is asking human beings to do. And if we are grateful, then imagine all the kinds of things that we can't be, all the kinds of emotions that can't exist at the same time as gratitude in your heart. I'll tell you a few. You can't be angry and grateful at the same time. You can't right. be bitter and grateful at the same time. You can't be jealous and grateful at the same time. You can't be, and you, you name it. If you're grateful, if you're expressing gratitude to your heart, to, to God in your heart, there's, there's so many sins that you can't actually do. And so yeah. I think that gratitude is an absolutely key Christian virtue. I'm super grateful for Acts 29, and I'm super grateful for the people that I know. But ultimately, we're grateful for God and grateful yeah. for the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, listen to a few verses. I put some down so that I could quote them. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you're called in one body, and be thankful rooted and built up in him and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Thankfulness is right at the heart of the Christian message and right at the heart of the Christian life. And I wish I could tell myself, whatever happens today, you be thankful for God. You be
0: thankful for Jesus Christ. Amen to that. What a word. Thanks, bro. That was great. So
1: cool. um, one of the things we want to do each time as well is we want to um, actually pray for the person that we've been chatting to. So, Philip, can you give us um, maybe just a, a couple of things that we can be praying for you and then we will actually pray and then we'll um, then we'll wrap up. Thanks. And um, that's a that's a great innovation
2: <laughs> in a podcast to pray. And um, that's a, a so I'm a little bit taken aback in terms of the topics that I would uh, ask you to pray for. Um, I guess the the thing that I would ask for prayer for would be that Action 9 would be uh, a praying network. That would be one thing. That's one of the burdens that I have for this year, that we would actually be a network that prays. Uh, And so the global prayer meeting is high on my agenda uh, in terms of my own vision of what Action 9 is and also what I hope increasingly the vision of the Daxman and churches will have, um, for, uh, our work and our mission that we'd be praying that we would be asking the Lord of the harvest to send workers that we would be praying that, um, God would bring in the harvest and um, three people coming to faith and three churches being planted. So pray for prayer. Um, and then, uh, the second thing I think would be just that as, as we learn from everything that happened in 2020, and I'm not going to go into the details, but as we learn from all of that, that we would be, uh, profoundly and uh and for a long time transformed um, in humility and in uh dependence on god uh, mm. a, a, as we go forward
0: that's great man that's great should we pray should we pray for those things now let's pray father we want to thank you and praise you for philip we thank you for his dear family bless them we thank you for all that you're doing in and through him for your kingdom for the fame of your son the lord jesus christ i pray that you continue to sustain him and be with him Uh, but father we want to pray that acts 29 will be a praying network we want to pray lord that you would move us to come to you in dependency knowing that we are weak and needing your strength to do those things and father help us to be a learning network help us to learn from from what we've experienced what we've walked through both the things that have been a great blessing and things that have been difficult so help us in that help us not to ignore what you are showing us in the midst of those things so that we can grow to be a healthy network so that we can in- in- encourage more people we can share the gospel with more people to see more churches planted and ultimately so that the glory of the lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea when we pray these things in jesus name amen 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 Amen. amen. philip thanks for being with us man. thanks so much guys that was uh, a lot of fun talking to you
1: thanks so much for joining us you've been listening to the act in europe podcast conversations on church planting in europe do check out the show notes for links to some of the things we've been speaking about and we'd love it if you would subscribe and share this with your friends and join us again in two weeks time.